Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today it's just us. I know we've gotten used to having guests and that was fun. Hey, Peter, real quick before we get into our subject matter, we had DeAndre Ash on here. Yeah. And then we both attended the Juneteenth celebration that he was discussing with us a couple weeks ago. It was pretty awesome. Well, I was going to ask what you think, but now I don't have to. Yeah, it was awesome. It yeah. was awesome. It was a lot of people. I ended up working the t-shirt booth for half the day and uh, I was there right when the service let out, and so people were coming to get their T-shirts, and a lot of them were saying like, "Well, I went to church today," or you know, "I went to church this month." I mean, it was a, it was a worship service, unlike um, any other that I've attended recently. It was beautiful, huge attendance, um, uh, great speakers, and then the the after party thing was awesome too for kids, especially. So. I learned a lot from the history, and I consider myself a history guy, mm. but it is one thing to read about something. It is another thing to hear the tales of people who've come before us and experienced life differently and hear the way that that history is seen through their eyes, and it taught me a lot. And one thing I did not know is why do we use red velvet cake, watermelon, strawberry pie? Because you celebrate that with the color red, mm. and it's because of the blood that had been shed for mm. years, and that, that amazed me. And I don't know why that spoke to me, but it did. Wow! Yeah, I I I didn't know that before before uh, Saturday either. I guess yeah. And that there is that line in the Our privileges showing in the song um, that that we sung about the blood of the slaughtered that come before us. So here's the thing that our listener needs to know about me. What? I don't sing. Uh, so I don't okay. really pay attention to songs, so you're teaching me right now. Okay. I didn't know that line existed. Yeah, well. Uh, if I'm on a lawnmower where no one can hear me, I sing loud. But, like, in public, no. Well, it, I mean, whether you sing or not, I mean, there were probably 300 people at that worship service. That's and... what I guess. Christy asked, Christy is the wife to whom I married. Christy asked me if... Yeah, how many people I thought attended, and I was like, it's easily three hundred. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. people standing around outside too, and and uh, you know, from a you know post COVID experience, hearing all of those voices singing together, that was literally music to my ears and figuratively and whatever. Uh, it's been so long since I heard people sing, and we did a pretty good job. So yeah. I'd say you were probably the best. No, no. <laughs> But I was loving it. I was all right. So DeAndre, if you're if you're listening to us, you did well. So did all those that helped you, Tammy, Nicole, all all the Junaluska folk, and I appreciate y'all doing that. I had a blast, and I learned some things. So I think we're probably going to celebrate this next year. I I actually I talked to the Lake J admin guy. Uh, shout out to that guy that guy <laughs> uh and he said he wanted to do it next year and that this that lake jay was the the good the best place for it so i think that means it's going to happen i hope it does i also told everybody i sold a t-shirt too that we were fundraising for next year's celebration and i hope that's right so <laughs> if not he did not lie to you intentionally yeah <laughs> uh, being wrong does not a liar make all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna turn our attention to today's reading and we've discussed it a little bit. We had a meeting that we usually have on Wednesdays, and apparently they discussed this. I'm always late to that meeting. Um, you can set your clock by how late I will be. 
and I missed the discussion of these verses, so this will be the first time that I've really gotten into it, and I am going to let Peter take it from here. We actually didn't get to this one, oh. and so it's the first time I'm getting into it too. Although we we we've we've done our homework and we've actually read through, and being generally familiar with the the narrative arc of the of the Samuels, uh, we have a sense of of what's going on in this story and what led up to it. And you may as well. It's a pretty um, momentous occasion and and also is one that's commemorated with song so connecting back to what we were talking earlier so let's listen now for the word of the lord from second samuel verse one chapter chapter one one, verse one and then 17 through 27 after saul's death when david returned from defeating the amalekites he stayed in ziklag two days Then David sang this funeral song for Saul and his son Jonathan. David ordered everyone in Judah to learn the song of the bow. In fact, it is written in the scroll of Jashar. O no Israel, your prince lies dead on your heights. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen. Don't talk about it in Gath. Don't bring news of it to Ascalon's streets, or else the Philistines' daughters will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. You hills of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain on you, and no fields yielding grain offerings, because it was there that the mighty warrior's shield was defiled, the shield of Saul, never again anointed with oil. Jonathan's bow never wavered from the blood of the slain, from the gore of the warriors. Never did Saul's sword return empty. Saul and Jonathan, so well loved, so dearly cherished, in their lives and in their deaths, they were never separated. They were faster than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of of Israel, weep over Saul. He dressed you in crimson with jewels. He decorated your clothes with gold jewelry. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies dead on your heights. I grieve for you, my brother Jonathan. You were so dear to me. Your love was more amazing to me than the love of women. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen. Look how their weapons of war have been destroyed. Thus ends the reading according to the Common English Bible. So I enjoyed the way that one was written i've been reading it in new revised standard version and it's a little different um but that that one spoke more loudly or clearly at least to me because well because of what you just said it's common english Hmm. and most of the time i do prefer nrsv but for some reason when we're talking about grieving the death of someone it sounds better to be spoken closer to the way i speak Mm you know it, it just, you know, for instance, mine talks about um, verse 17. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. Yeah, it's very, All true, no soul. Right, you know? it's very blocky. Yeah. You know, and, and I tried, as I read, I tried to 
intone yeah. the song as I would if I was reading scripture at a funeral because I feel like that's kind of the theme or the 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 feeling that's behind the words that are written here. I was very impressed with your inflection. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and and maybe that's a good place to start. You know, this is a funeral song it seems for that he's composed for them and uh, when we have funeral services as pastors uh, we often either we or someone else who's speaking a eulogy will say uh, really good things in fact I start off all of my funerals usually reminding folks that that what I hope that we start to do at a funeral service is remember someone well and share good memories. Mm -hmm. Now we know Saul was not perfect. I actually don't know anything that I could say was imperfect about Jonathan. He seemed like a pretty good guy and a killed good... a lot of people. Oh yeah, that's that's true. So he was a good warrior. I mean, but uh, yeah. So so there were certainly bad things that could have been said about Saul, but David chose not to in this situation. What do you think about that, Court? Well, I think we can learn a lot about that phenomenon when we read the actual death account of Saul and Jonathan. First mm. Samuel 31, 3, no, 2. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadad and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. Then you get to verse 4. Then Saul said to his ar armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. So that these uncircumcised may not, or may not come and thrust me through and make sport of me. That's it. And yet you get to the Second Samuel passage that you just read, and look how embellished and, mm -hmm. and flowing it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do with. It, it's a natural part of the grief grief process for someone we love, and then the opposite is true too for someone we don't like or we just truly can't stand or that was threatening us. We go the other way. And we start manufacturing, and it comes out of a real feeling, mm. but we start manufacturing images of people that may or may not have actually existed. Hmm. Um, this being the death account of Saul. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the, the funerally version mm -hmm. that's, you know, emotional and, and powerful and is a, one of the tools we use to grieve is much different than the straightforward account. Yeah. I don't know what we do with that, but there it is. Well, so this is this is interesting to me because of just the... It, it reveals to me the, um, the beauty of Scripture and the, and the miracle... I try to say that word correctly because I get criticized. I, I usually say miracle, and I know that that's wrong, but... Not, not here, buddy. Anyway. It's miracle, man. Yeah, miracle, that's right. So... Um, so the miracles of, of the Old Testament scriptures, as, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, is that we have so much um, nuance in the characters. Saul, we know, not a great person, you know, and, um, and definitely did things wrong and, and got on God's bad side occasionally. It's a miracle to me that we have those accounts too. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, you know, when when a, uh, anyone who's well known is eulogized, that's the only account that we keep. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you think about, so there's this term that came about as a result of 
martyrdom, martyriology, and a martyriology is uh, is an is a study of martyrs, but it's usually an account of a martyr's life, but it's always written with a very rosy um, lens. It is almost as if they they're 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 they were they lived almost a perfect life. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we hear here. It's a, it's a martyriology of Saul and Jonathan. But the miracle to me is that we, we, this is not the only account we have, that we also know that he had faults. Mm-hmm. And Scripture is helpful for me in that way because it means that, like, you know, we as individuals can look back at the stories of these people, including Saul and Jonathan, and know that, like, we're not that much different from them. We also make mistakes, you know. So that's the practical side of this. But what speaks to me is that, and this is usually, usually I go the opposite. Usually I'm all practical. But the faith side of things speaks out loud here to me because none of us are perfect. We can, we can act all we want like we have it together. We can be, you know, this, this polished and, and inspiring version that we think we are of ourselves Mm -hmm. but that's not true and that's okay Mm. we can also just be the people that just ran out and got a sword stuck through us and that's okay i mean not getting a sword stuck through us but we don't have to be in an emotional sense that's happened to me (laughs) okay so uh, we we don't have to be perfect we don't have to be better than everybody else we don't have to be uh, let's, let's find a quote um, beloved and lovely or seen that way by everyone else and that's okay mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean our faith is weak or that our dedication to God is weak or anything like that so it's not wrong in when we preach a sermon at a funeral to only say good things about a person it, it depends on the situation Yeah. Um, I, I, I try to this is just me but when I do funerals I try to make sure that while I'm supportive and try to help the grief process along in a good way. I try to never lie. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes because, mm-hmm. like, sometimes you just want to say, "Oh well," and you probably in hell. I mean, I don't actually want to say that, mm-hmm. but you can't. Yeah, but you well, don't want to lie either. And so you don't say, "And we know he's in heaven," because you don't know that. Right. So how how do you deal with those things? Well, we have to acknowledge. I think it's when I when I taken the the opportunity to acknowledge he wasn't a perfect person or she wasn't a perfect person that might be all i have to say yeah and people it's a moment where people are like yeah and so the it's a moment where people like yeah so this preacher understands who this person was and is not just making up this all this good stuff about them but is but is trying to to share with us like the good things that he did see in this person. Uh, maybe maybe the way to say it is you can strive to do good authentically. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make it up. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pretend something is that it isn't. Yeah. Uh, and yet you can still we have a very large lexicon from which to draw words in our language. Mm-hmm. We can find something and just remember that it's not about us and it's not about even the deceased. It's about the people who come to grieve. Mm-hmm. And so that when we when we try to be positive or at least find the beauty in some things, it's not for us. Mm-hmm. It's not for the person that has passed away. 
It's for those who are grieving for them. Yeah. And what does it do for them? What does it do for people who are grieving to hear good things said about someone that they've lost? I, th- I suppose that, well, it does many things, but I think the main one to me is that it gives them some degree of peace and comfort mm-hmm. in the wake of potentially world-shattering type events. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, let's bring it back to the text, like, are these words that the the people of Israel needed to hear? Perhaps. Hmm. It's a terrible answer, I know. But if these are people who are, you know, potentially facing conflict within their different tribes or even the same ones, you know, you had some that were loyal to David and some that were loyal to Saul. Mm-hmm it probably would be a good way to smooth things over Hmm. with those people who had been loyal to Saul Hmm. for David himself to say, yeah, I was too. Hmm. Uh, We're not each other's enemy. So I think it certainly would have been good for them to hear on that level. In English, we call that burying the hatchet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Uh, When I was reading about, uh, when I was reading these words about how David um, lionizes I mean, literally. Yeah, calls him a lion. Calls him <laughs> a lion, Saul. Uh, I, I couldn't help but thinking back to what Samuel said when the people demanded a king in the first place uh, and, and how different <laughs> these accounts are. And yet they're talking about the same person. Mm-hmm. In, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel explained everything the Lord had said to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is how the king will rule over you and operate. He will take your sons and will use them for his chariots and his cavalry as, runner, as, a, as runners for his chariot. He will, he will use them as his commanders of troops of 1,000 and troops of 50, or do his plowing and his harvesting, or make his weapons or parts of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, or bakers. He will make... He will take your best fields, your best vineyards, your best olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will give one-tenth of your grain and your vineyards to his officials and servants. He will take your male and female servants along with the best of your cattle and donkeys and make them to do his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks, and then you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you chose for yourselves. But on that day, the Lord won't answer you. So those are pretty strong words. Yeah, they are. And they are made even stronger when we compare them to the reading for today. Hmm. Because it stands in stark contrast. The, what you what Peter just read is what we expect. Hmm. Uh, because we know the overarching story of the Bible. God is is in control, earthly kings are not. However, when we get into this thing that we're reading for today, 2 Samuel 1 verse 23. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely. In life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than the eagles and were stronger than lions. Old daughters, 24. Old daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. But wait a second. I thought that Saul was a king. And I thought that Saul, as a king, would be expected not to 
clothe someone with crimson, not to give someone luxury, but to take their crimson thingies and luxury and spend it on what it wasted and mm-hmm. enslave the people. Mm-hmm. So what gives, Peter? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that Saul actually got to that point. He wasn't king long enough. We know that from a kind of the overarching narrative of, of this of these two books that well, of, of the uh, greater history of the Old Testament, that uh, Solomon actually did a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, but that's a that's the that's the arc of kingship, right which there. led to the divided kingdom and potentially a civil war. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the 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 Israelites, the Hebrew people, upon leaving slavery in Egypt, were given instructions like not to be like other kingdoms, mm-hmm. right. And then we have psalms that say, like, don't put your trust in chariots, right? Because this idea of, of war horses and chariots, it takes a lot of resources to even raise horses. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about how much it costs. I don't know if you know, but, like, it costs a lot of money to board a horse around here. Right. Or it's on a horse farm, Peter. I know these things. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, can, you have great insight into this. <laughs> even to raise a horse. Then train a horse how to, like, not be scared in battle, wear armor. Like, pull a chariot. It creates a huge resource suck. That's that's directed by one person, a king on a throne. Since we're talking about horses, yeah, and we're also talking about I don't know other stuff. So uh, Israel kind of felt the same about horses as it did with kings. Mm. Uh, you don't find much horse terminology. The word "sus" exists. Okay, horses existed in the Israelite world of the whatever time period this is. But uh, they don't have them. Mm-hmm. That's why you have, every now and then you'll see a donkey. Mm-hmm. But it's generally speaking, you don't see horses in much of the Bible. And they they didn't seem to trust them. A lot of times their enemies would forbid them to, from having weapons of war and considered horses to be such. And so you don't see them until Solomon comes in. David has some as well. But generally speaking, the one that was, you know, we got to have X amount of horses and chariots, et cetera, et cetera, and build up our forces, it was Solomon. Mm-hmm. And so it's somewhat poetic that Israel is told you don't need a king, mm-hmm. but we have to have a king so we can be like other people. And then they're not told they can't have horses, but they just kind of never have horses. Then Solomon comes into power and it's, well, we have to have horses because everybody else has horses. Right. So there's this. There seems to be this temptation to want to give up who makes you you and replace it with who makes what makes others seem better to you. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what we do with that. Well, like yeah. So so the people asked for a king, and Samuel, you know, had this conversation with God, and he came back and he said, "Look, king is bad news. You you know you see all these other people and their kings, and you want to be like them, but this is." But you don't. You only see the rosy side, you know. You only see the power. You only see the horses and everything like that. This is what it takes. Like you will be miserable if you have a king. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen under Saul because they were quickly in in war with the Phil- Philistines, tribal warfare. Uh, David gets anointed because Saul's messing up, taking things into his own hands when he should be waiting on God. Uh, Bleeding of sheep. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, and David is, is you know, revered as this wonderful king, also lionized, 
also had mistakes, also had lots of flaws. Um, and eventually with, with Solomon, like the people get what Samuel projected that they were going to get. Yeah, it's just like this whole set of three, I guess. When you zoom out and you take a look at the, the reign of all three kings combined, you kind of get the outcome that Samuel prophesied. And it has a lot to do, like what you said, with like trying to be like other people. So, I don't know, what's the advice here? What's the, what's the pastoral move for a scripture like this? It depends on which scripture you're talking about. We've been jumping around, but I think the pastoral move is what we found with where we started in Second Samuel. Mm. And that is because, look at verse 17. David, who's been hunted by Saul, mm-hmm. is singing the praises of Saul. Mm. Why? Because it's what brings healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have to do it, That's but he true. did it. Right. Uh, he makes it about more than himself. Verse 19, your glory, O Israel. So Saul, who is not just my friend, mm-hmm. not just this enemy I had, but is the glory of Israel, mm-hmm. the nation I am a part of lies slain, let's mourn him. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, you can go take the scriptural lesson of how the mighty have fallen. It's said twice in here. Mm-hmm. And you can apply that to our lives and teach humility. But I think to do that, you're missing the point. A major event has happened, and the people are shocked. And what David does, whether he means to or not, it seems that David brings some kind of healing. And in doing so, the little details fall by the wayside. I wonder, now I know Methodists are probably way ahead of us Baptists on this. Let's hear it. What? But I wonder if you were to take an event that shocked a Baptist church, how long, how long would the divide and the bickering have to go on before someone before it got bad enough that someone finally said, Let's stop focusing on the little nitty-gritty details. That's a southern word, by the way. And start putting those aside so we can heal. Mm. And I think, to to talk about my own kind, I think as ministers, our job is to get there faster. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not to rush the grieving process, but to realize quickly that it's not about how you made me feel when we were all mad. It is not about how I can then turn around and make you feel so I can feel better about myself or you making me feel bad or all these other little things that we get into and eventually they spire out of control. Instead, our roles as ministers should be to be the voice of reason and healing. Hmm. And it seems like this psalm takes us there because he had very he had a lot of reasons to be, you know, angry, to be bitter. He was hunted by this guy. Uh, his probably more important in their day and age, and maybe even in ours, he had a person standing between him and the goal he wanted. In many cases today, that's unforgivable. Hmm. And yet, he puts that down. He praises this person. He gets to the point that we collectively can start to heal and move forward. And this is what the world needs right now. Not just Baptists, not just Methodists, not just individual churches. But we need this mm-hmm. as the members of humanity. Because we are at each other's throats. Right. And 
people just sitting around saying, and I'm sick of it, doesn't accomplish anything. It returns a bit of dignity to uh, an otherwise bitter political landscape. And I think I can say that equally about this scripture as I can about um, the way that uh, politicians mourn one another today. Mm -hmm. Um, You see it with, uh, for instance, um, when John McCain at his funeral, how there was uh, representatives of both sides, people who who really disagreed. Uh, former presidents were there to say good things about the man that had, had died. Because I think death for all humans is a moment for us to reflect on how we are more alike than we're different. We're all, we're all mortal. We're all going to die. And David certainly had bad things to say about Saul and Jonathan, and you can read about those in in the Psalms. Like there are Psalms that are that scholars are pretty sure David is writing about Jonathan betraying him or Saul hunting him. Mm-hmm. You know, but those don't end up in the eulogy, right? The eulogy this is an opportunity for David to exhaust himself with everything good that he can say about this person who has died because like Saul's not coming back right so this is nor is Jonathan nor is Jonathan so so it's not like he's undermining his own kingship by doing this what he's doing instead is he's restoring dignity to uh, a relationship that 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 was tense at times and doing so in a public way in the eyes of the people so that the people know that they can trust this king to lead them. I, I want to focus on restoring dignity. You are a Minnesotan, correct? That's right. And you brought up McCain's funeral, mm-hmm. which is a good example. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring up Wellstone's memorial, mm-hmm. Paul Wellstone. Yeah. And at that funeral, I, I've only heard bits and pieces of that. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so I listen to sports radio from Minnesota, mm-hmm. and a guy will play it every now and then. And what I've heard of it, they say like two or three things about the deceased, and then they get into their platform for really? whatever par- party it was, mm-hmm. and they've raised their political issue, and they say, for Paul, for Paul, and then they tell everybody to go vote, vote for him, for Paul, for Paul. There was a lot of things in that funeral, but none of them was dignity. Mm. It doesn't have to be a funeral. The pastoral moment should be one where we put out a call to restore dignity. Mm -hmm. It could be over some, well, a pandemic. It could be over some, some rift in the church or in the community. It could be over race relations it could be over many things mm-hmm. um uh, substance abuse yeah our roles are to restore dignity but we must do it authentically notice that even though some liberties were taken with history in this account they were still authentic right yeah it may be the only good things that David could think of to say about Saul, but yes. but he kept it to that. Correct. Yeah. And I think that's where we can find our inspiration 
to carry this forward today mm-hmm. because there are many, many, many times and opportunities today to wring our hands and say, oh, woe, is, woe are us. It's just so bad. Mm-hmm. That's when it falls on us, not just ministers who do that professionally, that is people of faith, to find, be it under our own power or hopefully guided by the Spirit, sources to reclaim dignity, mm-hmm. to attribute dignity, qualities that we can admire, um, hope and positivity. To me, it's also a way of communicating grace yeah. and, and, and communicating a faith in the grace that I believe uh, exceeds our imaginations. Because I think uh, I have been to funeral services and even led funeral services for people who did not lead great lives, had, had, had um, you know, uh, qualities that may, maybe people would not call qualities. You know, they were they were not great people, and yet when the eulogist or the person who is uh, is memorializing the one who's deceased is able to say good things, I think it communicates to those who are present. Well, I know that I'm not that great of a person, or I don't feel like a great person all the time. But if someone can say good things about this person, then maybe that means that I'm okay too. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that means that there's grace for me too. I don't want to say that there's a... that, I, And I don't think anyone comes away from a funeral feeling like, well, if they can say good things about that guy, then like, I guess I don't have to worry about anything. I can just do whatever I want. I don't think people come away with that, you know, because it's a time of grieving. Um, and I, So my intention usually is to try to encourage those who remain that you don't have to be perfect in order for God to love you. And I think that's true in Saul's case too. I think God loved Saul even though he had to move him out the way so that David could could be the king. May have removed his spirit from him, but that doesn't mean he stopped loving him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just to lighten things up, have you ever seen anything that's just like inexplicable at a funeral that you can tell and not embarrass anybody? Um, you know, the, the, not the, the music, the non, okay. The secular music that sometimes get played really throws me off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Almost always a country I'm song. just, yeah, I'm just like, so like when I, I'm sitting up there, I'm like, so this is upbeat country song or whatever. Like, am I supposed to like tap my foot at this oh, point or like, am I, you, you should know? break out some spoons. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know this song, so like, but I'm up here and people are looking at me like, am I supposed to like, you know, I don't know, sing along or something, you know, I, it's, that that's always a strange one for me. I'm, I'm going to warn everyone, you think your inside joke is cute, but it's not. <laughs> the two people that get it, yeah, that's mm. it. The rest of us are not in that loop anymore. So right, yeah. we don't get it, yeah. yeah. There's my funeral warning for people. Mm-hmm. I get why they keep the video screens running, but I feel like it's totally distracting. To you or to the other? To the, to those who are To the present. attenders. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like the, what we've talked about here is so much about sort of um, crafting an emotional response 
memorializing someone, like taking great care to restore dignity to the person there and to communicate a message of hope to and the grace group, to the yeah. people who are there. And then they keep the cameras or the, the, the video slides running. Are you listening, are, Wells? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, then, and then there's just like nobody's paying attention. So like the whole moment is lost. It's like yeah. all of the work that goes into crafting this emotionally tender moment is just gone. And, like, and you make a powerful point. And at that point, the baby picture's up. And oh, just, <laughs> ah, we've lost him again. Yeah, so... Not just Wells. No, no, I was just kidding. Smoky Mountain Creations, you do this too. Creations or cremations? Cremations. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. <laughs> All right, so we've 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 called out the the funeral homes. Uh, apologies. But... I, I want to call out us too, not okay. you and I, but but people who are pastors. Yeah. It's not about you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like, not I... about the altar call. You think that you can get people to come down the aisle mm. at a funeral? It is not about you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's not let's have fun. That's me being serious, and I, I get really pissed about it. Yeah, so. yeah, no, there's certainly it's a. I think that what's so uh, uh, the, with the funeral service, what's what's so difficult about it is that it's a great. It is a good opportunity mm-hmm. to to do something really important. And oftentimes it gets blown for selfish reasons. And oftentimes in this, those selfish moments, we are guilty of emotional manipulation. Mm. And that is a crime. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I've never seen Peter do a funeral, officiate a funeral. Is that what you do? I've never seen him deliver a funeral service. Mm-hmm. He has seen me. Maybe he's sitting here thinking, you hypocrite, I saw you do this. I don't know. No, no, you... They, they, yeah, you did a fine job. Yeah. The ones I've seen. Anyway, I haven't right. done one in a while. So I've had a good run. So that's been good. That's, yeah, I can't say the same. <laughs> I did one last Sorry, week. Sorry, brother. No, that's okay. It's part of the job, and I think it's one of my favorite parts of the job. Not because it's exciting and happy and uplifting, but because there's so much potential to 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 communicate love and grace through not just the funeral. But the process leading up to it, meeting with the family, hearing the stories, giving time. Uh, and that's why I feel like it's so disappointing and infuriating to see when it gets used, misused. Abused. Abused. I think you raise a good point, And this is, we've been doing a lot of, you know, shop talk today. So that's okay. To the general person, I'm sorry. But um, think about what I've been doing this week and, and we'll be doing next week. I've been working with this. Uh, literacy summer camp which is at a church down the road but I'm, i mean I'm, I'm a part of it i'm a part of the the board that or council or whatever that planned it anyway we're, we're putting in all this work mostly not me but mostly others and the only way to tell if we did a good job is if nothing happens because hmm. we're trying to get children to a proficient level of literacy where they can blend in and go on with the rest of the students so if we do a good job, we notice no difference. A funeral, and a lot of ministry is that way, but a funeral is one of the, and I'm like Peter, I don't, I don't look forward to doing funerals, but a funeral is one of those rare opportunities to minister. And the layperson can do this too, where you can see that your efforts 
to serve God are making a difference. As you listen to people, as you see them understand that they have permission to grieve in whatever ways they need to do so. And that's so rare. I mean, when I give a, when I preach on Sundays, like, heaven knows if they're listening or not. Mm -hmm. But you can actually see people feel loved and, and supported in their grief. And, you know, I'm not saying that we should all be, you know, emotional junkies that seek out opportunities. Oh, let's get the, the obituaries. Oh, that family's grieving. I kind of know them. Let's jump in. Mm. And there are those. Mm. But it is, it is so rare to get an opportunity to know that your efforts to serve God are making a difference that I do appreciate having that chance in a funeral. There's one pop positive thing i didn't know this was going to be the funeral show actually yeah but i want to put it to our listeners actually because it seems like we've got a lot to talk about about funerals but uh i would love to have some listener feedback on this one you could call us leave a voicemail we'll put you on the show with your question unless you say don't put me on the show unless yeah of course with permission and uh so yeah what have you what what have you heard or seen at a funeral that drives you nuts or what has been uh, something that you thought was a really good thing that you've heard or seen at a funeral? Or what's a question you have about maybe you're, you're preparing to do uh, a funeral yourself or say something at a funeral for your loved one or you're thinking ahead to what you might say? What questions do you have about how to craft the words that you would, you would say? We want to hear from you. So... Uh, if you know us, you can get our phone numbers, call us, leave a message, or call our churches. My church number is 828-648-0380. Leave a message, I'll record it, and we can put it on the show if you'd like, and we can talk about it later. I don't remember my church num number because I never call my church. He's so. at Canton First Baptist Church. <laughs> you can Google it. Yeah, you, you, it's on our website, but I don't remember it. Well, I don't know. This has been a good talk. I think we're at a good stopping point. And so I appreciate your time. I appreciate mostly Peter carrying the show because I'm exhausted from this summer literacy camp that we're doing. They're not expecting that much of me, but they do expect me to drive and have the kids there at 730 in the morning. So it's kind of early. So um, you carried it well. And honestly, there was one time when you were speaking, I kind of spaced out. I was like, oh, my God, don't ask me a question. And he didn't. So I, do, I do it regularly. Yeah. I space out. Sorry about that. All right. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. I'm Peter Constantin. Peace. Peace.